open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. We're going to continue in our study. We've, we've come to the main purpose of the books now. We've, we've been, as we've been building up to this point, we've been seeing the different places where to submit. We've seen submission to government. We've seen submission to your workplace. We've seen submission in the home last week. Finally, we saw submission to one another in the church. And today, we get to why. Why this is all going to happen. We're going to see that we have to be prepared for resistance. We, we, we live in a, a society that is so polarized between the two sides, especially when you think of politics, right? Paul, and when, in politics, it's inevitable that you're going to have one side come out against the other and say they're nothing but a bunch of blankety, blankety, blank. I won't fill it in to give them any, uh, any advertisement. And the other side, you come out and they say, well, they're just a bunch of blankety, blankety, blank. They're just liars. They're just that, just whatever. No matter what, they only really have one way to get out of that. First, to show a record of integrity. Second, to have a prepared response for why they're being attacked. And third, to have a clear conscience knowing what they're doing is right. Well, Peter, in our text this morning, tells us the exact same thing. In our text this morning, Peter says that there will be people from the world that when you live for Christ will come against you. They will not like that you are living for Jesus. They will not like that you are telling them the gospel. They will not like that you're saying that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only hope. And that no one comes to the Father but through him. They won't like that. They won't like that you live a certain way. They won't like that you act a certain way. So Peter gives us three things that we should be ready for when, as that comes. First thing we're going to see is an irresistible integrity. Verse 13 and 14a, we're going to see an irresistible integrity. We must know that what we're doing is right and that our we, should not have, we don't have to worry about physical consequences here because we are focused on the eternal consequences that we've won in Christ. Second thing we are going to see is we must be prepared to give a ready response. Now, this is specifically talking about your Christian faith. Why do you pray like you do? Why do you act like you do? Why do you talk to people about Jesus the way you do? Why do you do any of this? You must have a ready response of why it is you come to church. Why it is you give up your Sunday mornings or your Wednesday nights. Or throughout the week, why it is that you, you don't do certain things. And the final thing we're going to see is it's a, cl a clear conscience. A clear conscience is our defense against the world's accusations. A clear conscience, knowing that we are doing what is right in the sight of God, is our, is our defense against the world's accusations. I've titled this message, A Prepared Resistance. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your heart honor Christ as Lord, the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it in gentleness and respect. 
having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a good God that loves us and that works all things for the good of those who, for all things for our good and for your glory. Father, I pray that as we come to you this morning, as we open your words, we dissect your words, we, as we seek your word, that your spirit would fall upon this place. That your spirit would fall upon us as we, as we hear it and that you would guide us to a zealous love for you. Prepared hearts, focused minds, and ready for your coming. Father, we love you. In your precious son's name I pray. Amen. Be seated. First thing we're going to see is an irresistible integrity. First word, now. Now this is the conclusion to all the submission passages. Really, it's when we get into the, what the, the, the meat of this whole book is. He's taking two and a half chapters to get into that, that meat. But here we're going to see that this, the conclusion of that is this, when you are submissive to government, sometimes the government's still not going to like what you're doing. When you're submissive in the workplace, you know, you, once again, it's always talking about when you're submissive to an unbelieving government, unbelieving workplace, they're not going to like some of the stuff you do. When you're submissive in the home, if you're, if you're dealing with an unregenerate spouse, they're not going to understand and like some of the things you do. So now, now, who is there to harm you? Now, in, in what way are we talking about harm? Matthew 10, 28 says this. Do not fear those who kill you, who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He's saying, no matter what comes when you are living in an exiled word, 1 Peter chapter 1, and you're living as sojourners, 1 Peter chapter 1, you are to live in such a way that you are worried about what God thinks more than what anyone else thinks. More than what the world thinks. You, the, the world can only do so much is what it's saying. The, but God is the one that we serve. God is the one that we serve. Galatians 1 verse 10 says this. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, then I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, there's no one to harm us if we are doing that which God has called us to. If we are submitting in the ways in which we're called to. Remember who Peter's writing to here. Peter's not writing to people, to a churches that are experiencing all the luxuries in the world. He's not, he's not it's writing to churches that are in the midst of prosperity. He's writing to churches who are under deep persecution. Churches that are questioning their, their purpose, questioning whether what they're doing is right, questioning what, where they're going. He's writing to churches that are, are being persecuted on every single front. And he says, don't worry about it. There's no one that can harm you because you know the gospel. Once you see that. Now keep going in verse 13. 
There's no one to harm you if. That's, it's, there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's a reason why. If you are zealous for what is good. If we're zealous for what is good, we do not have to worry about the eternal, about eternal consequences. If we are focused on honoring God. If we're zealous for what is good, I'm saying it again, then we do not have to worry about eternal consequences. We have to be focused on, with, on honoring God. Now, what does it mean to be zealous for doing good? Does that mean, what, what defines good, I guess, is the question we need to ask. What defines good? Is it what I want, what I think is right? No. Everyone should be saying no. Is it what you think is right? No, probably not. That's what the Bible says. This is our standard period. If we are a people that have a standard, the vast majority of people do not have a standard by which they get their morals. Our, the morals that we come to have to be found and grounded here, either explicitly or implicitly. And if, as long as we are zealous, we are on fire, we are focused on doing what is right according to the scriptures, then God is going to honor us. God is going to bless us. Now, what does that look like? What does that look like for a church? What does that look like individually? Those are the questions we need to ask. I'd say for a church, it looks like people that are placing God first above everything. That means, I've count, as I've counseled people, when they move, they get a new job, they're making tons of money, they say, I'm worried about where I can find a church. I said, I'm not what I counsel them, and y'all may think I'm crazy. Sometimes some of them thought I was crazy when I told it to them. Before you go, you need to make sure you can find a church that is solidly preaching the gospel. Because the being under the word of God is more important than your job. Being under the word of God, being under a, a gospel preaching church is more important than making a bunch of money. So I have counseled numerous friends of mine. I'm, I'm, I'm young. i got a bunch of friends that are coming out of college that are taking jobs working on Sundays, never go to church. How are you growing in the faith? In fact, we're, we, in the part of the workshop we did yesterday, I, I, I'm adapting it from deacons to everyone. Once a quarter, I'm going to be giving us a self-reflective uh, survey that you guys are going to take home and you guys are going to do on your own. I'm never going to ask to look at it. It's for you, not me. It's going to ask questions of how you're doing in the faith, of how you're walking in the faith, of how you're growing in the faith. And you're going to rate it between 0 and 10. And then on the back side of that, it's going to come out the same week my quarterly uh, newsletters come out. On the back side of that, you're going, to, you're going to say, this is what I'm going to do to grow. This is what I'm going to do to be more faithful. This is what I'm going to do to, to amplify the ministry of this church and of Christ. Because here's the reality. If we're not all on the same page, if we're not all walking together, if we're not all growing together, then we're not going to be zealous for doing what is good as a church. Right? We have to be on the same page, focused where we're going, seeking the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. Look at verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you'll be blessed. Now that, that's a really weird thing to say. So you could also say it this way. Even if you were to suffer for righteousness sake, you're privileged. You're honored. Or simply, you should be happy. If you suffer for doing what is right, you should praise God. 
what this is telling us. Why? Why should we do that? Well, Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12 says this. Blessed are those who are persecuted, what? For righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on Jesus' account. Right? Not in general, it's in Jesus' account. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad. Same thing that probably, honestly, probably the same words that Peter is reflecting on as he pens this text. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, you're not standing alone. If you are hated, reviled, even brought before courts, you're not standing alone. People for all history in the church have been beheaded, burned alive, taken out and dragged. And one of the, some of the most amazing things you will ever hear is when you're reading about some of these things in church history, and I encourage you to do it, especially the reformers in England, they go to the cross where they're about to be burned alive and they're singing hymns. They're praising God that they're about to be suffered for the sake of Christ. May we have such zeal. May we have such zeal should that come. Listen to me. In the next 10 years, in the next 10 years, the, the government, if it continues in trajectory, and I don't think it will, but if it does, continue the trajectory it's going now, they can start cracking down on churches. And you know who they're going to hit first? It's me. It's pastors. It's deacons. It's those who are in leadership of the church. It's the trustees. It's treasurers. You have to prepare your heart ahead of time to make sure that you're ready to stand for Christ. Because the easy thing to do is to fold under the pressure. What the easy thing to do is say, you know, I, it's not that important. It's just one little thing. There's a pastor that I really got into studying because I had a whole bunch of friends. My church family, when I was, uh, when I was saved, was really into this pastor. Like there was just something about I was a new Christian. I was on fire for the Lord. And I was, there was something about him that I just couldn't put my hand on, but it was just wrong. And we, I started looking, listening to his stuff, and I started to, trying to dissect what he was saying and, and measuring it to Scripture and talking to my, some of my professors about him. And what was happening is he was taking little steps away from orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is a big fancy word for what the church has been teaching for all the all the generations, right? What the, the historic church has followed. He's taking little steps away. Well, in 2012, he wrote a book called God uh, Love Wins, <laughs> saying that because God is love, and you can see his reasoning here, because God is love, there's no one that's going to go to hell. Because God is love, everyone's welcome into the loving arms of Christ. You may not submit now, it's important you do, but if you don't submit now, you'll have a chance afterwards, and you can just come on in afterwards. The problem with that is that it disrupts the justice of God. He was quoted later as he continued taking these little steps away from orthodoxy, and then got to the big ones. But he was quoted afterwards saying, saying I believe this was him, saying that you hear people say when you're struggling with sin, just pray and read your Bibles. What kind of fools are they? Can, can you even imagine saying that kind of stuff? I'm quoting him, not me. I would, I would tell you to do that. He said, you need to put down your Bible and pick up Plato. 
You need to put down your Bible and pick up Nietzsche. You need to understand the way the world thinks more than what Jesus thinks. Little steps away from orthodoxy. Little steps away from what is right. Little steps away from what's grounded in Scripture. And before you know it, you're falling off the cliff. Right? You're falling off the stage. In my case, little steps as you go. If we, if we don't, if we, if we don't uh, s- surrender to him and we're not prepared ahead of time. We looked at it in 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning in our, in our Sunday school. Preparing your mind for action and being sober-minded. Setting your hope fully on the grace that will be brought at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have to make the assurance. We have to make the, the choice today. That we are going to suffer for Christ when, if and when persecution comes. The, the, the church in Ukraine is under harsh persecution. The church in Russia is under harsh persecution. They, have to, they had to make a decision a long time ago that they were going to stand for the gospel even if something was to happen. And some of them probably are and some of them probably aren't. And that's going to be the case in America. If it continues to trick. Some of us will stay following Christ, following the scriptures, following his word. And some of us won't. Some of us will walk away. And we cannot have that. We must prepare now. We must be, have irresistible integrity now. First, Second Timothy 3, 12 says this. Indeed, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ will be persecuted. It's not an option. <laughs> It says it will happen. It may not be in the same manner in which we saw it throughout church history, in the same manner we're seeing in China and Russia and, and Ukraine, but it also may be. And we have to prepare our hearts and our minds for action when that comes. Second thing. Second thing, we, we are the way we per, are prepared for resistance. First was irresistible integrity, making the choice ahead of time to do what is right and being zealous for what is right, his word. Second, is to have a prepared and ready response. To have a ready response. The, the text continues, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Who's them in this? Them is, is the, the people from the Roman Empire who's, who's coming in on them. The, them are the people that are, are going to be taking their part. Them is also the people in their own household. Husbands or wives who don't know Christ. They're telling you, you know, you don't need to go to church. You don't need to be there. The jobs that say, you know, I want you to fudge the numbers. I want you to sell this thing that you disagree with. Governments that say, you can't say that. You can't preach that way. That's who them is. Have no fear of them, it says. Nor be troubled. Why? Because Christ is our answer. The one we answer to. So the first thing we're going to see in this, in this ready response, we have to have an inward conviction. It's verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. How do we honor Jesus, the Christ, as holy? By living the way that he has called us to live. Once again, back to 1 Peter 1. We, I was there this morning in Sunday school. We are to live holy because Christ is holy. Right? We're to, to honor him as holy in our hearts. We have to make an inward conviction, an inward stance that this is where we're going to do it. Chelsea read Isaiah 8 earlier this morning. And Isaiah 8 is, is, is quoting from what's about to happen to Israel and the coming invasion of the Assyrian Empire. They're about to come and put them into exile. 
and they're going to take them out of the, the promised land, and they're going to take them and they're going to mistreat them in horrible ways. I'll read it again. He says, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Serious. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. So when you're about to be overtaken by the Assyrian Empire, don't fear, let's say. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling. That's First Peter 2. Let's quote this again. To both the houses of Israel and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. What's he saying? What's God said to, through Isaiah telling the people to do? See, you're about to come under God's judgment. That's what they were doing. And when you come under God's judgment, when you come under the judgment of the people, when you come under the judgment of in your home, don't, don't worry about it. Focus on doing good and have an inward conviction that God is more important than blank. Fill in the blank. That's what that means. Fill in the blank with anything. What if, what if he's going to make you lose your job? God is more important than your job. What if he's going to, the government's going to take your house? God's more important than your house. What if the government's going to come in and take your, your, your land? God's more important than your land. God is more important than anything. And in this situation in Isaiah, all of those things were about to happen. And Peter reminds them, no matter what happens, you focus on God. That's what we need to remember this morning. No matter what hope happens, we must fix our mindset amidst the impending persecution on Jesus and on his reward. Our first ready response must be for the inward conviction to whom we serve, but our second is an outward response. And the text continues, we're still on the same point, but the text continues, a prepared defense. But this is what it says, in, continuing in verse 15, always being prepared to make a defense. When? When are we to do it? A lot of people say, because of the word that's used here to make a defense, it's, talking, it's, a, it's a courtroom word, and so it's saying only when the government brings you in. But what's the context? With your husbands or your wives. When you're at work. And for the government, when they come knocking on your door. Always. Be uh, make a defense. So and the, the other hint you have there is that first word. Always. Like when should you be ready to prepare? Be ready and prepare to make a defense of why you believe what you believe. Always. <laughs> really simple. Always be prepared. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone. So not only always, but to anyone. It doesn't matter who comes to you. It doesn't matter how close they are, how much they hate you. Always be prepared to make a defense of what. Of what? Who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. They ask you why you're coming to church. Why you waste your time with church. Why you waste your time in prayer. Why you waste your time reading with your family. Because Jesus is enough. Peter's experience of not being prepared in, in the courtyard was elaborate, wasn't it? Peter's writing this, and you can just see on his face the guilt. What happened in the courtyard is Jesus was being beat. 
Peter is over warming his hands, and a servant girl comes over and says, Hey, aren't you one of them? And what did Peter say? We don't know that and so Peter knows what happens when there is on the other side of this stone, on the other side of this door. Peter understands what happens if you're not prepared to make a defense of the hope that is in you. Peter understands what happens when you're not prepared to make a defense for, and stand up for Christ. How can we be prepared? We can be prepared by making the choice now, studying now. That's important. Two things. Tuesdays are hard. You can ask, ask the people that actually come. Tuesdays are really hard because we're dealing with deeper stuff. We're going all throughout Scripture, and we're talking about stuff that you probably aren't going to talk about on a normal Sunday morning. We're talking about stuff that is the deep things of God, and it's hard. Garney told me one day, he said, I'm going home because you made my brain hurt. <laughs> we have to be, we, but it's important that we are, we are studying these things. Because we have to be ready when they come. We need to always be prepared to make a defense. This, this word is the way, how we, where we get the word apologetics. It doesn't mean we're apologizing for the faith. It means we're going to have a ready defense. A ready defense of what's coming. So we need to be prepared. But why is it necessary to be prepared? Because, once again, going back to first, uh, first Second Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. It's not an if, but a when. It will happen. All. There's, there's, there's not parsing some people, only the people in Ukraine, only people in Malaysia are going to be, be persecuted. Everyone. In one way or another will be. Are you prepared? Are you prepared to give it offense? Now, listen. This doesn't have to be at a seminary level defense. This, all this has to be is a gospel presentation. Why do you go to church? Because I know I'm a sinner and God created me to live with him. But I sinned. And God loved me enough to send his only son to stand in my place. And he's paid for my, for my sins. He's paid for my suffering and given me his righteousness. And so now, because he's done that, I want to serve him. I desire to honor him. Simple as that. That's not a big seminary level using justification and glorification and all the big occasions that we can use, right? All the big fancy words. Just a reason why we do it. Now, the third one, within this same point, I'm, I know I'm belaboring this maybe a little, is a prepared, not just a prepared defense, but a prepared demeanor. So if someone comes at you, maybe even hateful, Yelling at you because you're following Christ. And the text says, yet do it with a gentleness and respect. Literally, reverence. Reverence to whom? To God. You, we are giving the answer for the reason we trust God, for the reason we, we come to church, for the reason we read our Bible, for the reason we live the Christian life, out of reverence for God, not for them. And that amplifies it. It magnifies it. It doesn't diminish it. When we, when, if you get into Facebook argument about it, it's, that's not going to be most likely the way that's going to be out of gentleness and respect. It's most likely going to end in something that's not that. 2 Timothy 2, 23 and 24 says this, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know, you know what, the breed, what breeds quarrels. 
And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. So, we give an answer, we don't get in foolish debates. There's a difference there. Foolish debates typically happen on Facebook. <laughs> right? I've been, I've been guilty of that. Giving an answer is someone that has come and questioned you and accused you, made an accusation against you. So you need to have, be, have a ready response. Final thing we're going to see in the last few minutes is a clear conscience. First question is, what is the conscience? The conscience is, is it everyone. Everyone has a conscience. And the conscience tells us and bears witness to us what is right and wrong. Now, some people have a seared conscience, and some people have a, have a uh, built-up conscience. Isaiah 30, 21 says this, And your, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way to walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. See, it's, the conscience is a gift of God telling us what's right and wrong. If we, if it's, it's something that will, will push us in the morals to do right and wrong. Just about everyone, at least young, knows that killing is wrong. Murder is wrong, I should say. Just about everyone knows that stealing is wrong. But we live in a corrupt world. It's tainted with sin. And the more we, we embed ourselves in that world, the more we, we are not in the scriptures, the more we are just living out life coasting along, the more we have our conscience seared. We say, well, it's not that big of a deal. My, my great-great-grandfather was a missionary in the New Hebrides Islands. And there, they, their practice was when they fought and they won, they would eat their enemies. How does that work in a clear conscience? Because they were taught by the world, by their culture, by everything else, that that's okay. Their conscience became seared. Our consciousness today becomes seared by the junk we watch on TV, by the junk we listen to and some of the music we listen to, by the, by the junk we hear taught to us. And by the abstaining of this. When we don't read this, when we don't bend our knee in prayer, when we don't come and gather as a church, our conscience does get seared. And what was right and wrong it's impacted. I'm going to keep going and skip some of this stuff because I don't have time. But verse 16 says, And have a good conscience so that when you are slain, once again, this is not an option, it's not an if, but a when. Paul said, Paul said this, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And we read that earlier. Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And now Peter's saying, when you are slandered. This is not an if, but a when. We have to be prepared ahead of time, knowing that what we're doing, knowing that our conscience is clear. And the only way to prepare our conscience to be clear is to have that melded with the Holy Spirit as we submit to him in prayer and we read his word daily. We have to do it. That's why we have people in churches all over America and all over the world that have been Christians for 70, 80 years and don't, are still a baby in Christ. 
Paul wrote about that problem in, in his day. He said, though you should be teaching and should be on the meat, you're still on the, have need for the milk. We need, must be prepared now. And in our culture, it's so important. Because it, as we've seen over the last 10 years, I'd say, I mean, you can go back all the way to the 70s, but especially the last 10 years, it, it, the culture is going further and further and further away from Christ. And the more you stick with them, the more they're going to hate you. And that's okay. Because it doesn't matter that they hate you. It matters God for God, the God that we serve. Verse 17, I'm just going to read it and be done. For it, it is better to suffer for doing what is good, if that should be God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. I'm not saying do, do things specifically to suffer, but I am saying be focused on yourselves for what is good. Three applications. We must constantly work at keeping our conscience clean and sharp. How do we do that? Come to, we spend time with one another. We, we go out and we, we, we do things with one another. We spend time with those who have the same focus as we do. It's called fellowship. We, we spend time daily in the Word. I encourage you, right before you go to bed, open the Word, read a chapter. That's not hard. Read a chapter. You read one chapter a day, five days a week. In the New Testament, you read through the entire New Testament in a year. You don't have to go and you start reading that much in a day. Read one chapter. Start there, let the, pray about it, let God work you. And as you do it, God will bless you and God will grow you. And that's more important than anything else you can do, do with your time. Two, never let your zeal for righteousness wear off. Let me say it again. Never let your zeal for righteousness wear off. And righteousness is defined on what this says. When, when we start making concessions from the word of God... We're no longer being zealous for righteous, because righteousness is defined within here. We're then we're we're we're, we're then focused on tickling ears and trying to get the world to like us more. But I want to quote Paul Washer, who said that the world does not the church does not matter to the world because we're just like the world. The church matters to the world because we are drastically different than the world. They've tried the world. It's messed up. They've come here and they've seen something different. Finally, know that persecution will come to all who live for Christ. But he is our reward and he is worth it. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's go Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. We pray that as we come to you, as we, as we seek you, that you would guide us. Guide us to a loving de de desire for you. To guide us to, to be prepared for the worst. To be prepared for persecution. And, and to be even joyful through it as your word tells us to be. Father, I pray that you would, you would harden the, the good truths in our hearts. That we would be prepared to give an answer. That we would be prepared to live for you. And that we would be zealous for your goodness. Father, we love you. It's in your precious son's name, my friend. Amen.